Welcome to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, I felt like we could go home after that New Testament reading, right? I mean, my goodness. Thank you, Eugene Peterson. Wow. Hey, most of you know we've been in this series since the beginning of the year called The Supernatural, and we began by talking about this whole idea of does this does the supernatural occur, and what about healing, and what about miracles, and what does this mean, and, and, and all of this stuff, and, and we set it up right at the very beginning here on Sunday nights by saying that, look, the world is broken. It, it's not as God intended. All is not the way God designed it to be. Sickness, injustice, poverty, all this stuff is not the way that God designed our world to be. And the hope that we have is that it's also not the way God describes the final outcome of things, the final outcome, the picture that we're given of this new creation that God will do is it's not a place of wars and violence and injustice and illness and disease. It's not a place where that, take, where that happens. And so how does God get us from here to there? The answer is Jesus. Jesus enters into our world, enters into our suffering, takes it upon himself. And that, what that means for us is that every heartache, every pain that we experience, he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be betrayed and to have hurt and to see friends die. That happened to him. And so God in Jesus is God who knows our pain. But more than just that, God in Jesus was the one who accomplished this victory for us over all this that's wrong with the world. Isaiah said, by his stripes we are healed. And Isaiah's vision of Messiah is the one who would set everything right. Healing not just in the sense of physical in the here and now, but healing in the massive global sense that when Messiah comes, what Jesus accomplished is that one day everything will be set right. And so we're living in the now, but the not yet. The kingdom that has come now, it's happened, it's unfolding, but it's not yet here in its fullness. And that's why at the beginning of this month in February, we transitioned to start talking about spiritual gifts because here's the deal. When Jesus said, look, it's finished, it's paid for, it's done, he didn't mean, okay, you like the way I left the world? See ya. If, that, if that's what it means when Jesus said, it's finished, it's done, we'd say, I don't think so. It doesn't look very finished to me. No, when he says it's finished, he's saying, look, what's been, what needed to be paid for has been paid for, but everything that's starting to now unfold will one day culminate in the day that Christ returns. So what about the here and now? Well, that's what we're here to be. That's why, that's why we are here as the church. We're here to, to become carriers of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, depending on how you grew up, or depending on the movies or the, that you watch, or the images that you have, you may have pictures in your head of crusaders saying that they're doing things in the name of God. Or you may have pictures of angry people picketing outside certain street corners or whatever, saying, oh, I'm doing this for the sake of the kingdom of God. And it, 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 it all smells of violence to you. But the kingdom of God is simply this. It's God exercising his rule and his reign. 
And what we are doing is we're saying, look, we are the people that have surrendered to his reign, and as a result, we carry his reign wherever we go. That means now by the power of the Holy Spirit, we start to change the little spheres where we have domain, the little areas where I have influence, where I have rule. I begin to change. I begin to speak into it so that it begins to look a little bit more like the place where God rules. Does that make sense? So when we talk about spiritual gifts, this is why we're talking about it. Because I think this discussion too easily degenerates, and I said this last week, this discussion too easily degenerates into a kind of a X-Men comic book kind of uh, uh, mentality. You know, ooh, what, what can he do? Oh, he has X-ray vision, you know. Ooh, that one has like skin that will self-heal. Or that person has like whatever heat that comes out of his eyes. Or she can like change the weather, you know. Sorry, all X-Men examples. Obviously, Paul doesn't talk about those gifts as much at all, really. But we can have this same mentality when we come to talk about spiritual gifts where we can say, ooh, what, can you, what, do, you, what do you have? Oh, you can prophesy. Oh, you can do this. Oh, you can do that. And, 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 and we've, we sort of have made it into this privatized, personal thing where a spiritual gift is more about a notch in your belt than it is about being the church and being the body of Christ. Look, we're not, I'm not interested in you talking about, in us talking about spiritual gifts so that you can feel good about yourself. I want you to feel good about yourself, but that's not why we're talking about this. I, I'm not interested in this being a, a conversation so that we can say, okay, well, you know, good, I, you know, I got this down, I got that down, and all this stuff. And I want us to have a little working definition of a spiritual gift. And so on the screen here, we'll put this up. A spiritual gift is simply this, the Holy Spirit at work in us in a particular way to continue the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit at work in us in a very particular way. Tonight's gifts that we're going to talk about, and we'll get to this in just a moment, it, it can sound like, it can look like things that just are, it seems like natural abilities or natural inclinations. And What's the difference between a fruit of the Spirit, something Jesus wants all of us to become, versus a gift where it's a very particular, the difference is that a gift of the Spirit is a very particular work of God, the Holy Spirit through us. It's not just generally being merciful. It's this particular thing of mercy that you show to an individual, to a situation. I'm getting ahead of myself now. But you know, the other thing that's important as we set this up is to, is to realize that a spiritual gift is God's gift to the whole church through an individual. That ultimately it's not about, well, this is what God has given me me, you know, me, Joe Smith, I'm a Christian, and I've, you know, been worshiping the Lord, I've been serving God for 10 years, 15 years, whatever. This is a gift that God has given me. No, this is a gift that God has given the whole church through you, through the individual who has received it. Again, no privatizing of the gifts here. Paul didn't, Paul didn't talk about the gifts of the Spirit in the context of personal devotional life. This is not the kind of, well, read your Bible, pray every day, and try to, you know, do the... He's taught, he, all, these letters, when he's writing to the Corinthians and writing to the Romans, are letters to, uh, to churches, to bodies of believers, to places where believers gather. And he's saying, look, this gifts that you have at work in you are for the body, for the church. Sometimes I think, if you, if you could imagine a little continuum and you say, here at this place is sort of the natural abilities that maybe you're born with. Maybe you're born uh, as a super good, you know, basketball player or whatever. Maybe you're born with like certain abilities and you're born with certain inclinations. Okay, that's sort of a natural gift. And then you have 
over here you have where it starts to become a spiritual gift is maybe it's the Holy Spirit enhancing a natural ability and taking what you already have this proclivity towards and enhancing it and making it spirit-empowered. But there's also kind of this third occasion where there's sometimes there's, there's this, I've never had the natural ability to, to do this or that, and my friends would all tell me that I don't have the ability to be compassionate or merciful, that I'm really not a merciful person. But all of a sudden, the spiritual gift of mercy begins to be at work in us in a particular way for a particular reason. I think those two, we can see a spiritual gift as an enhancement of a natural ability or a spirit-enhanced performance enhancer or something like that, you know, or, <laughs> or something that you never showed an aptitude for before, and now all of a sudden it starts emerging in your life because the Holy Spirit's at work in you. Paul writes, the, the text that we're going to look at tonight is Romans 12, and Paul is writing to the church to Rome, in Rome, and a couple of interesting observations before we begin this passage. One, Paul's never been to Rome. When he's writing this letter, he's not yet visited them, he's never seen them, which is interesting because he assumes that because there's a church there, they're operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Isn't that an interesting, he sort of says, well, there's a church there, right? Well, surely there's different gifts at work among you. So that's an interesting piece to observe. The second thing is Paul is writing to the Romans from the city of Corinth. He's in Corinth as he's writing. And you can only imagine, last week we talked about the chaos of the Corinthians, you know, the, the city where people are, are all concerned into status because there's no, there's no aristocracy based on, you know, genealogy. This is, these are people who are self-made, uh, you know, men and women. And so if, they're, if they have status, it's because they earned it. And so Paul's maybe, you have to wonder if Paul's sitting in Corinth thinking, oh gosh, look at these guys, look at how they're you know, so status conscious and so worried about this or that. I've got to warn the church in Rome. I mean, I've never even been there, but I've got to warn them not to do the same, make the same mistakes that the guys in Rome are making. And that's an interesting thing to keep in mind. And Romans 12 opens with this. Romans 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I love that. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you know that the first thing about being a Christian is that we're going to have to change the way that we think? That it involves changing the way that we think. I think sometimes in, in a more charismatic setting, we think that we, we respond to God and we have this great goosebump moment and then God will zap us and then we're different. And sometimes it works out like that, but, but even in those situations, we've always eventually got to change the way that we think. And pay attention to this because he says, okay, you've got to change the way you're thinking. And then he says in verse 3, for by grace I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's hard to miss the logical progression. He starts out by saying, hey, give yourself to God. You're a living sacrifice. By the way, you're going to have to change the way you think. And oh yeah, stop thinking too highly of yourself. In other words, early on in the process of being transformed and being made like Christ, what's one of the first things about our thought process and our thinking that needs to be changed? The way that we think so highly of ourselves. And some of you think, well, I, no, that's not me. I don't think highly of myself. I think too little of myself. I wonder if maybe you could, you could say that the real issue here is that we're obsessed with ourselves. 
whether it's that we're thinking too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves, but when we come to Christ, He wants to reshape our thinking so we're not making the world spin around us. And Paul's saying, look, if you want to live as a, as a body, if you want to live as a Christian, you've got to change the way you think. And the first thing you've got to change is stop this independent mentality, this maverick way of living. You, stop thinking too highly of yourselves. That you're better. You can figure it out. You've got it. You know they don't. You've got to change the way that you think. Don't think too highly of yourself. And then he goes on and he says, in verse 4, just as, so he's building on this point, Paul, one of the great you know, logicians, not magicians, logicians, users of logic uh, in the New Testament. He's building this case. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to one another. It's interesting because there are, we have records of ancient Roman speeches where these famous Roman politicians would stand up and give very inspiring speeches about how the political community was like the human body. Did you know that? That in a sense, Paul maybe was using this metaphor because the church in Rome and also the church in Corinth, they would have been familiar with this is empire talk. This is how Rome kind of talked. They talked to a, a, a city or, or at a political gathering and said, look, you are like a body. But do you know the interesting difference? Is when these Roman uh, 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 politicians would stand up and compare these people, the Roman, their citizens to the body, they would use it in a way to kind of say, well, these parts of the body are more important than those parts of the body, and so we are more honorable than you and all this stuff. And Paul puts a totally different spin on it and says, no, 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 remember that you're all members of one body, and what that means is we can't function without one another. You have to wonder if Paul had more of a grasp on our physiology and anatomy than these Roman guys did. Paul makes this case that, look, we're, we're part of this together. We're connected to one another. If we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that transformation is going to play out in Christian community. You know, there are situations around the world where it's not very easy, not very possible for believers to gather together and all of that. And so there's different you know, exceptions for that. But in general, do you know that it's very difficult to demonstrate the transformation in your life except by living in community with others? And think about the way, how can you show that you are transformed? How does it become obvious that this transformation has happened inside of you? It only becomes obvious as it plays out in Christian community. It's very, it's very easy to say that you're patient when you live as a hermit. You know, of course you're patient. You've got to be patient with yourself. You know, I think I'll eat now. I think I'll you know, take a nap now. But all of this gets put to the test when we're forced to live it out in Christian community. And Paul's building and building and building. And then we get to verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, uh, let's see, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, tonight we're going to focus, we're going to camp out on verse 8. And I want to point out that Paul is not making any attempts to give us an exhaustive list of the gifts of the Spirit. 
He, this is not a lecture, you know, Professor Paul, hello students, thanks for coming. Uh, take, you know, take out your notepads. I'm going to give you the list of the 10 or 12 gifts of the Spirit. Paul's not giving us a list. Do you know what he's doing? He's encouraging believers to use what they've been given. And I want us to say that tonight because before I start talking about these four gifts tonight, we're not talking about this so we can say, well, that was nice. I'll bring that up at the Easter party this year or the Christmas party, you know. Honey, remember that for the little brunch we're hosting next weekend, you know. (laughs) What? (laughs) We're talking about this because the whole point of this is so we can put this into use. Now, one more thing. These four gifts that we're going to be talking about tonight are typically the ones that we say, oh, well, that's those mainline churches. That's those denominational churches. We charismatics, we love prophecy and tongues and healing and all this stuff. I want to remind you of what Paul said in verse 3. Let each one not think too highly of himself. In other words, all of these are gifts of the who? The Spirit. And that means by definition, whether your gift is teaching or mercy or tongues or prophecy or encouragement... They are all charismatic. That's actually what the word charismatic means. Charisma, the gift of the Spirit. So let's set this aside, shall we? This nonsense of name-calling and division and who's superior and who's full gospel and who's, you know, part-time gospel or whatever. You know, like, let's, let's, let's understand that we're the body of Christ and that if the Holy Spirit is at work in us, these are all gifts of His Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. The first one Paul talks about here is the gift of encouragement, the one who exhorts. It could also read a comforter or the encourager. In the context of this verse, it seems to be someone who urges Christians to live out the truth of the gospel. Some parents have felt like you've had that gift every night when you sit down and talk to your kids. I'm encouraging them to live out the truth of the gospel. The gift of encouragement. You know, maybe the um, most beautiful picture of the person who does this is Barnabas. If, you re- if you've read the book of Acts, particularly I think in Acts 9, what happens is Paul, before he becomes Paul, he's called Saul. And he was, you know, he was busy persecuting Christians and doing all this stuff. And so he has this dramatic encounter with God. And he tries to come to the disciples in Jerusalem and be, be, be in. He wants, Saul wants in. But it, the Bible says they're afraid of him. You think? like not that long ago that he was like stoning people you know he was standing by when Stephen got stoned and it's Barnabas who says come on Paul come with me you're probably bumming because you're so excited about your new faith and then the people that you looked up to wouldn't let you in anybody been there you feel like you were excited about something you were going to enter this thing and all of a sudden someone said no 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 not yet not so fast you know, maybe I think of that story, you know, William Carey, before he went and became a missionary to India, he went to his church board and said, I'm, I want to go evangelize uh, the people in India. And, and he said, sit down, young man. When the Lord's ready to evangelize the people in India, he'll do it for himself. Thank God somebody must have come to William Carey and said, no, 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 no. Let's go. Let's bring courage back into him to obey that. Thank God that Barnabas did that. I mean, could you imagine what would we, where would we be if Paul that day said, okay, 
take my ball and go home, you know? <laughs> I guess they don't want me in Jerusalem, you know? I'm not one of the cool kids. And you sense, I, you know, maybe, you sense this chip on Paul's shoulder because in his letters, he's always trying to justify why he's an apostle. It's like, look, I saw the risen Christ in a vision. I, this is why I'm an apostle, you know? He's almost still trying to say, they didn't let me in the cool kids club once, but I really belong. No, I don't know. But Barnabas comes, finds Paul at this moment and, and brings him in at such a key point in his life. What a guy. That's an encourager. I, I, think, I think the person who has the gift of encouragement is not, you, you know, you may not be the limelight person, but you don't know who's, uh, what you're opening for someone else. You don't know what doors you're opening for someone else. You don't know what opportunities, what places, what healing you're bringing to someone else. Proverbs says, look, there is um, a man finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? How, how amazing to say, God, help me to spot the person who's discouraged and to be the one that brings courage back into their hearts and their lives. Second gift Paul mentions is the gift of giving. And he says, okay, look, look, to the one who has this, um, let's see, to the one who has this, uh, if it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. That word for generously is interesting. It, it literally means singleness. Not, not as in celibacy, but singleness as in focus. And when it's used of money, it, it has this implied meaning of, yeah, be generous about it. But I think what's, what's interesting is it has this, it very, very precisely means if you have the gift of giving, then give with singleness, give with focus. I have been guilty sometimes of being loose with money and thinking that I was generous. Have you ever been there? Where you're sort of not careful about where the money's going, you got, that's not generosity, that's like bad stewardship. You know, where you're like, well, I don't know, I mean, I think I paid for this, I think I paid for that, I think I paid for this. I'm just living generously. No, you're living carelessly. I think the gift of generosity, the gift of giving says, you know what, here's a particular need and, and the Lord is compelling me to do something about that and so I'm going to zero in on that. The other possibility of this word, you know, that's translated give generously, you know, singleness, it, it could also mean give with simplicity. I li- and I like that. I think there's something about that because, you know, there's a way to give that ends up being insulting instead of a blessing, right? I mean, have you ever been there where someone's like, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. Let me, let me, let me buy that for you. And it's just so over the top that, you, you know, it's like, gee, you're trying to prove a point. Like, what are you trying to say, you know? Um, and and, and, and there, what Paul is saying is, look, if you have this gift of giving, give with a singularity, give with this focus, but also give with simplicity. Don't, don't, don't make this a, a huge thing. But let the Holy Spirit guide you to particular needs, hone in on it, give to it, and do it in a way that's almost incognito. That, I think all those connotations are there in this, in this encouragement about the gift of giving. Thirdly, he talks about leadership. Leadership, the, the, the phrase in Romans literally says, it's, it's, it's um, phrased this way, the one who presides, the one who, who sits over and the other times when Paul uses that phrase, most of those times it's in the context of church leadership. And so in, in a very, it, it, it's, it's, um, 
You know, very likely Paul's talking about those who have leadership in a church setting, and he's saying, look, if that's you, then, then this is how you should lead. But I think there's something about this that applies to the rest of us in, 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 every, in different situations where we lead. I think it's interesting that what he says to them is he says, look, if, you, if it's leadership, let him govern diligently. Having a spiritual gift is not license for laziness. You know, it's not this thing of saying, well, I've got the gift of leadership, so I'm going to just keep leading. I'm going to start small groups. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, first of all, you may not be having the gift of leadership if no one's following. But, but, sec- but secondly, when you lead and when you step out to lead, having this, the Holy Spirit at work in you that way doesn't mean there's nothing that we do to improve it. Does that make sense? Paul says, look, if, that, if this is you, if you sense leadership coming out of you, then do it with diligence. Pay attention to the way that you're leading. Pay attention to the people whom you're leading. Pay attention to that. Be diligent with that. Understand that this is not a, a, a license to sort of be cavalier about it. Mercy. The one who shows mercy. Typically the way this word is used in the New Testament is, is with this connotation of a... Um, uh, visiting the disadvantaged, the way that Eugene translates it in the message, but, but kind of the, the, the ones who are weak. Uh, you can think of everything from almsgiving, i.e. giving to the poor, to hospital visitations, to care for the elderly, all of that sort of fits under this umbrella of the gift of mercy. And it's interesting that he says, if you're, that's your gift, then don't do it grudgingly, do it cheerfully. And how easy is it when we say, well... You know, I, um, you know, I have to get up tomorrow morning and get up early because I got to take care of, you know, my great-grandfather or whatever. I got to do this. And I, you know, I do all this stuff. And, and you're sort of talking to a friend about all the stuff that you're doing that's supposed to sound like mercy, but it sounds like complaining for some reason. <laughs> it's like, wait. I think it's interesting for all of these things that Paul not only tells us gifts that we might have at work in us, but he tells us how we're supposed to use it that it's not enough to say, well, I've got it. I got the gift of exhortation. I got the gift of leadership. I got the, no, he says, no, look, if you've got those things, well, here's how you use them. You use them with humility. You use them with love. You use them with diligence. You use them with cheerfulness. And I think the point he's really getting to is verse nine. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love honor one another above yourselves never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer share with God's people who are in need practice hospitality we would step back for a moment and say what is he really saying what's the point of all of this what's the point of talking about how we're supposed to change the way we think and we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves and we should remember that we're all part of one body and then he lists these gifts what, what What's, what's the, the heart of the matter? I think the heart of the matter is that we're supposed to learn how to live for somebody else. We're supposed to learn to take what's inside of us and say, God, how can this benefit somebody else? If you think about all four of those things, it's very hard to practice them alone. I've got the gift of encouragement have you talked to anybody today? Nope, but I've got the gift of encouragement. 
It's a, the gift of encouragement pushes you outside of yourself to see somebody else and encourage them. The gift of leadership pushes you outside of yourself so that you can lead and guide and organize and structure and protect an organization or a family or a group or a church. The gift of giving pushes you outside of yourself so that you can meet a particular need. The gift of mercy pushes you outside of yourself so that you can have compassion on a certain individual in need. These gifts are designed to push us outside of ourselves. And that's really the point of all this. So tonight, as we close, there's something that uh, the college ministry, the mill, actually did last year at the retreat that just stuck with me when I heard about how they did this and what they did. And, and I thought it would be a remarkable thing for us to do. Because it's very easy to talk about spiritual gifts and leave the conversation up here. It's like, oh, well, that's cool. Maybe God will, you know, do that through me sometime. But these aren't supposed to be hobbies, practiced in our spare time. What do you do? Do you, you know, do you, do you bowl? Do you watch sports? No, I, I have spiritual gifts. You know, no, it's not a hobby. <laughs> it's supposed to be part of the rhythm of Christian community. Part of what it means to live in community with one another is we're constantly, constantly letting the Holy Spirit push us to look outside of ourselves and touch someone else in need. And so tonight, these three by five cards on your chair are for this. It's for you, if you can, with courage and humility, because I think it takes both to do this, to write down on the card a particular, and just for tonight, material need. A particular material need that you have. You don't have to put your name on it, but you do have to put some kind of contact information on it, either a phone number or an email. But this is the kind of thing you could say, you know what, if I'm honest, I need groceries for next week, or I need new diapers, or I need, uh, you know, uh, I, I, could, I could really use a car seat, or why am I doing all parenting examples? You know, you could use, think of all the, I don't need any of those things, really, I don't. Uh, I really don't. Um, but you might be thinking, you know what, maybe I, I, I need new tires, or I need this, or maybe it's something big, maybe it's something small. But would you have the courage and the humility to say, I'm going to write down on this card a specific material need that you're facing. And what we're going to do, there's, there's pens and there's, there's little pushpin thumbtack things, and these white boards, they're, they're made of little foam, and as the, as the band comes up and plays, you'll write these things down and put them on the board. And then when we dismiss tonight, we'll give everybody a chance to come back up to those boards and say, Holy Spirit, are you speaking to me about any of these needs? Could I meet one of those? And if the answer is yes, then take it. But don't take it and, you know, use it as a coaster for your kids in the van on the ride home. You know, take it and do something about it, you know. Because if you take it, somebody might be like, oh, man, mine's, mine was up there. Mine's gone. And they're going to be anticipating God to meet their need through you. And then they'll be mad at God and you. But they don't know you. They know him. You know, so it's just a mess. So don't do that. Can we, what do you think? Can we do that tonight? I want us to get in this very practical, very tangible sense of saying, look, if we are members of one another, as Paul said we are, then shouldn't we be good at meeting each other's needs when they're specific and material so that when it comes to these 
lofty spiritual needs, we're already trained in the habit of discerning a need and learning to meet it. Does that make sense? I think we're, we're waiting for the Spirit to kind of inspire us to meet a spiritual need, but what if there's a natural need right in front of us that we could meet too, okay? So let's bow our heads, and I, I know for some of you this might take a tremendous amount of humility to say, oh, I, I, I want to write something down on this card. But just as much as it requires sacrifice to meet a need, I think it requires humility to admit a need. Okay? Let's pray about this. And then the band's going to sing, and as they're singing, you can start taking your cards up and sticking it to the board. And then I'll come back up after the song and officially dismiss us. So don't, you know, if you could, don't leave yet just yet. Because I'd love for us to kind of be in this moment together. Father, we, we're so glad that you are a gracious, loving Father, that you have given us everything that we need. And yet we do find ourselves on this earth with, with gaps in, 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 in the material things, or the things that we, maybe would be nice, we're not sure how we're going to afford, not sure how we're going to pay for this or that. And, and Lord, we want to be the body of Christ. We want to be members of one another. And even as we're talking about spiritual needs, Help us to meet specific material needs for one another tonight. Give us courage. Give us humility. Give us obedience to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need a pen, there's pens up on either table. Please, everybody, let's do this together, and let's see what the Lord will do in our midst, okay? Jesus, help us to be your body. Holy Spirit, empower us to to meet some of these needs. There's no way to guarantee that every single one will be met, but God, ultimately we're trusting you, but I pray that you would do a miracle in our midst and cause this community to be a one that would find ways of meeting these things, in Jesus' name, amen. This is our official dismissal, but the band, I'm going to ask you guys to keep playing, keep singing, and, and uh, take time to come and put more things up. And once you see the traffic has kind of slowed down on, on, on these boards, you can come and start to look at them. Now, here's the good news. I'm going to have these boards up. We might consolidate them all on one board, depending on how many we have. But we're going to have these up every week uh, throughout this uh, Lenten season so that as we're contemplating the sacrifice of Jesus to meet our needs, we can think about the sacrifices we can make to take care of others, okay? So we'll always have these boards up. You can look at them throughout the services of the next coming weeks and all of that. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see, I'll see you next Sunday night.